for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, we are continuing in our study through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and we are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in which our Lord and our Savior, King Jesus, is announcing the arrival of His kingdom on earth and is establishing for us the law and the lifestyle of the kingdom so that we can know how to live here and now until the fullness of that kingdom is ushered in in eternity. His initial audience are people just like us. They were the Hebrew people, the Jewish people who were, I'm going to have to, I like this fan, but it's knocking my notes everywhere. So, The Jewish people were at that time living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. It was a world of injustice. It was a world of economic inequality and unevenness. It was a world of sickness, of inner and outer temptation, of poverty and need and the daily grind and in that context, Jesus speaks to them words that apply to them and apply to us today. And we have come to the text that was just read in your hearing, Matthew 6, verses 19 and following. And if I were to try to summarize this text in a simple statement, it would be this. The king says that when it comes to money and his kingdom... We need to exchange the present for the promise. The king says that when it comes to money and his kingdom, we need to exchange the present for the promise. Dear friends, fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, we are called to live by a different set of values. We are called to live with a different set of priorities. We are called to live with a different type of currency. Our currency needs to be the promises of God rather than the possessions of earth. King Jesus calls us to exchange the present in order to receive the promise. And the question that every one of us, including every pastor in this place, every one of us, including every man, every woman, every young person, every child, the question we need to ask of ourselves and those of us who are heads of households, the question that we need to lead our families into is this. Will we live our lives for what is present 
or for what is promised? Will we live our lives for what is present or for what is promised? Will we believe that the momentary treasures forsaken here are eternal treasures gained there? Will we believe this? If you have read the Gospels with any kind of of concentration, you will probably know that the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, are full of teachings about money. I used to, as a pastor, be very reluctant to talk about money. In fact, uh, it was probably the most uh, uncomfortable topic for me as a pastor. So I would go for years without talking about giving or money. And, and I came to realize that I was being fundamentally unbiblical in my ministry as a result. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the ministry of Jesus, there are 28 chapters. And in 28 chapters, there are 40 times when Jesus refers to money and wealth and giving. In 24 of the 28 chapters, Jesus talks about this. And the reason for that, folks, folks, is that at bottom, at the end of the day, we're going to see this in this text, the, the measure of and the test of our love for Christ and our devotion to Christ is quite easily measured by how we use our money and what we devote our money to. Money can be either the currency by which we store up heavenly treasures or the means by which we choke spiritual life out of ourselves. In Matthew's Gospel and the teaching of our Lord, money can be the currency by which we gather for eternity, treasure upon treasure upon treasure, or it can be the means by which we exploit others or bribe others or betray others. How we think about, how we use, how we invest our resources matters to the Lord Jesus Christ. The king says that when it comes to money and his kingdom, we need to exchange the present for the promise. I want to show that to you from the text. I hope your Bibles are still open or your electronic devices are still open to the text, not to some other place, to the text. Uh, And we're going to just take our time going through this text to make sure that we understand it. I don't want to misrepresent God's Word here. I don't want to to say things that are not faithful to this text. So follow along with me. Have your text open in front of you. Jesus begins in verse 19 by saying, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is a strong imperative. Indeed, it is a warning against the accumulation of money and the earthbound treasures that money buys. Do not lay up. Do not save up store up and spend what you have in a selfish kind of way. Notice he says, for yourselves. Do not store up, lay up, save, store, spend in a selfish kind of way that seeks primarily material or physical gain and the advantages of this world. In fact, the grammar of the text, you can't quite see it in our translation, but the grammar of the text could possibly read, stop storing up 
treasures. Stop doing this, Jesus says. Stop storing up more and more stuff. Stop the greed. Stop the accumulation. Stop the money love. Stop the money trust. Stop the money obsession. Stop the money grab. Stop the climb up the socioeconomic ladder. I will say it. Stop the American dream. Stop it. Stop it. Stop measuring your life, Jesus says, and your worth and your identity by what you earn or what you wear or what you drive or the house you live in. Jesus isn't saying you can never buy or enjoy any earthly treasure. He is saying that we are not to store them up and live for them, and be consumed by them, and love them, and trust in them, and always be dreaming of more of them. Do not lay up treasures on earth. Then, in the second part of verse 21, he adds a good reason why it doesn't make any sense to store up money and what money buys, because here below is where moth and rust corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. You see, the treasures of earth are soon the trash of earth. Have you, have you visited a landfill recently? Anybody been to a dump in recent times? It's a good visit to make because that's where treasures end. There ought to be a plaque just outside of every landfill and dump. Here is where treasures go when they die. Because everything there at one point was somebody's treasure. But now it's trash. The logic is obvious in our Lord's words. Why bother storing up treasures for ourselves when we know that they will never last? But, he says in verse 21, stay with me here, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Ah, don't lay them up on earth, lay them up in heaven. And, and he explains over in chapter 19 and verse 21 what he means. He says, Jesus, there Jesus says, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. In other words, use what you have for the good of others. Use what you have to serve others, to bless others. And the same principle is applied in Philippians regarding giving to the church and the mission of the church. In Timothy regarding generosity. Give to others. Give to the kingdom of God. Give to the mission of the gospel. Give to the things that matter for eternity and you will store up treasures in eternity. Do not lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt, where thieves do not break in and steal, where the treasures are, in the words of Peter, imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Where the, where the treasures and and. And understand that the treasures, if you read on in the Gospels, uh, you need to know that the treasures Jesus has in mind are not 
uh, sitting on the clouds playing a harp. The treasures are participation in and inheritance of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. The treasures are actually living in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. The treasures are things like land and houses and, and tr- uh, blessings and crowns and glory and well-dones, good and faithful servants. Things that will add to your joy for all of eternity. Jesus says, when you, when you invest here in this life, when you invest in kingdom purposes and in the good and the help of others, you are investing in eternity. And the, and the payback, the dividends for that will, will vastly outmeasure anything that you could have here. Nothing given to God, nothing given for God will ever be unrepaid. Indeed, it will be more than paid back by Him. The king says that when it comes to money and His kingdom, we need to exchange the present for the promise. And then he adds, notice this, He adds that these treasures in heaven are where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. There is no corrupting moth. There's no corroding rust. There's no thieving hands in heaven. Oh, for the day. Lord, bring it. I haven't given us that command in verses 19 and 20. Jesus gives us a fascinating insight in verse 21. Your Bible's still open? Look there. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, here our King, here here our Lord and our Savior Jesus gives us a principle for life. It's kind of a core psychological, spiritual rule of thumb to keep in mind all the time. Here it is. Where your treasure is, where you... Put your treasure, there your heart will be. Notice the order. If your treasure is on earth, where's your heart going to be? On earth. But if your treasure, if you lay up treasures in heaven, where's your heart going to be? In heaven. The heart follows the treasure. The heart follows the investment. Have you ever noticed that here even on earth? If you have never invested anything in the stock market, but you all of a sudden decide that you're going to invest, I don't know, $2,000 in a certain stock, what happens to your interest in the stock market? All of a sudden, you, you're looking at it every day. All of a sudden you care about it. Your heart follows your investment. If, if you give to a certain charity or ministry, you begin to follow its developments. If, if you are unwise enough to bet on football, if you put a wager down that a team is going to win, all of a sudden you're concerned about the health of the team members. 
All of a sudden, you're concerned about the weather. All of a sudden, you're concerned about the conditions around the game and the outcome of the game because you're invested. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart as well. What we invest in determines where our heart goes. This is a fundamental principle for life. And let me summarize it like this so that we can have our hearts go upward. Dear friends, if you want to treasure Jesus more, if you want to treasure the Father more, if you want to treasure holiness and the kingdom of God and the church, the bride of Christ, if you want to love these things more, then invest more in them. The more you invest in heavenly things, the more your heart will move heavenward. This is the teaching of our Lord. This is the motivation He gives to us. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And then Jesus continues on in verse 22 in what is a surprising direction, at least to me. seems to take a turn off topic when He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Where'd that come from? thought he was talking about money. He was in verses 19 through 21. He does again in verse 24. So why does he all of a sudden talk about the eye and it seems an anatomy lesson here? Well, by saying that the eye is the lamp of the body, I, I believe what he means is this, that what we see, hear this folks, what we see, what we look at, what we gaze at, is like a lamp that fills our bodies, that fills our insides. And, and so when he says, so if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be light. That word healthy, the Greek word used there, it's kind of interesting. It, it means single, if it's focused. In other words, if you don't have double vision, if you're not looking at two things at once, if, you're, if your vision is not blurred or double-visioned, if you are looking and gazing at the single thing, the good thing, the helpful, the generous, the kingdom thing, then your whole body is going to be light. It will be illuminated with light, not darkness. But, he adds, look at the text, just to make sure we don't miss the point, if your eye is bad, that is, if you have double vision, if you are trying to look at the kingdom and look at this world at the same time, if you are trying to be focused in two directions at once, if your eye is bad, then the light in you is darkness. And, by the way, he says, how great is the darkness. So, so what is the point? What's the connection to the verses before and after? The connection is this. The eyes, our eyes, are the gate through which the darkness of covetousness and envy and greed and money love most often spread into our hearts. What we see, folks, what we look at, what we gaze at will rule our lives will rule our choices. It's not like money is bad or the things that money can buy are bad, but when we gaze at money and at what money buys, 
It is as if the seeing pours gasoline on the fires of our own cravings and our own desires and our own lust. And so these things are stirred up and inflamed within us. Very important, folks, to understand in the spiritual life the connection between your eyes and the condition of your heart. What you gaze at will control your heart. You will remember when Eve was in the garden. In Genesis 3, it says that when she saw the fruit, that it was pleasant to the eyes, she took it and ate. You'll remember Achan in the book of Joshua. Achan was a Hebrew, a member of the army of the Israelites, but he took treasures that didn't belong to him. And this is how it happened in his own words. He said, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did when I saw, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them. When I saw then I coveted. Second Samuel makes the point that when David saw Bathsheba bathing, he sent and took her. The psalmist confesses in Psalm 73, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Time and time again in Scripture, it is what we see what we gaze at, what we focus on that decides what is going to rule us and master us and control us. So do you see the context here now? He talks about money in the earlier verses and money afterwards. And he's saying, if indeed, if indeed you are going to treasure me above everything else, if indeed you are going to live investing treasures in heaven, then you need to have your eye single. You need to have your eyes under control. You need to be focused on the things that matter most. You cannot be gazing at the stuff of this world and be living for that world at the same time. Can't happen which leads us back to Jesus' next words in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve, you cannot serve, fellow Americans, you cannot serve the American dream as it is commonly held and pursued. You cannot serve the American dream, and Jesus at the same time. Cannot be done. What you gaze at will master you, so choose your master carefully. Who's it going to be? You can't have two masters, Jesus says. You can't have two supreme authorities. You can't have two ruling passions in your life. You can't have two CEOs. You can't have two absolute bosses. Because at some point, indeed, at nearly every point of life, those masters will want you to do opposite things. The money master will want you to trust it and love it and hoard it and obsess about it and buy more stuff with it. 
The money master will want you to buy and keep and hoard and keep improving and raising your standard of living. The money master will always be after more of your time, more of your energy, more of your thought, more of your worry, more of your care. But the Savior master, Jesus, will want you to simplify, to downsize, to be content, to share to give, to sacrifice, to do everything you can do in the developing of your lifestyle so that you have more to give to the poor, more to give to the mission, more to give to the kingdom, more to give to the disadvantaged and to the oppressed, more to give to the homeless, more to give to the undereducated and the lost, all out of a surpassing love for King Jesus. You cannot serve two masters. I cannot serve two masters. For I will either love the one and hate the other or love that one and hate the first one. You cannot serve God and money. The king says when it comes to money in his kingdom, we need to exchange the present for the promise. So let me apply this simply here this afternoon. When it comes to money, might I suggest that Jesus tells us three things. We need to direct our hearts, we need to guard our hearts, and we need to unite our hearts. We need to direct, guard, and unite. First, we need to direct hearts. If it is true that where our treasure is, there will be our hearts also, then what that means is that we have the power by the grace of God to direct our hearts toward heaven. This means that we don't, as the world says, we don't follow our hearts. That's about as bad advice as you could ever hear. Because your heart is going to take you in all the wrong places. You don't follow your heart, you direct your heart. You command your heart. You guide your heart. And Jesus says here that the way to do that is to invest your money, invest your resources in heaven. And then your heart will follow. Randy Alcorn in his little book, The Treasure Principle, says, My heart always goes where I put God's money. My heart always goes where I put God's money. By the way, on the way out here today, we have a copy of Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, nice little book uh, that is uh, free for every adult. Uh, so please make sure you get a copy of that as you leave. We direct our hearts into a good direction toward right and godly ends by investing our treasures, the things we hold dear in heaven, our money, our clothes, our technology, our stuff, our time, our relationships, our children, our health, our investments, our retirement, all these things that, that are the, the, the resources and the treasures of earth, if we invest them in heaven, then our hearts will follow. Jesus says, direct your heart. Secondly, guard your heart. If in fact the eyes are the gate through which Envy and covetousness are brought to life and are ignited and inflamed, then we need to guard our eyes. How 
difficult this is in our day and in our age. How difficult this is. How, what discipline it takes. But remember what John says in 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Oh, friends, we must guard our hearts by guarding our eyes. We are not guarding our hearts if we sit around spending lots of time looking at the latest calendars. If we, or calendars, where'd that come from? Looking at the latest advertisements. We, we are not guarding our hearts if we sit on our computers and we, it would, we do well to sit on our computers. If we don't sit by our, if we sit in front of our computers and just gaze at stuff. That is not guarding the heart. That's actually enticing the heart. You remember what Jesus said earlier in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount with regard to a different kind of lust. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Pluck it out. Be so jealous and so zealous for the maintaining of a pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Be so jealous to have a heart that is fixed on Him, that is not distracted or choked by the riches of this world. Be so jealous to love Jesus supremely and His bride with all your heart. Be so jealous for the kingdom and its advancement in this world. Be so concerned about the poor that you don't waste your time and energy with your eyes gazed elsewhere. Shut down the temptations. If you have to put a hammer through your computer, do it. Do it. Because the condition of your heart matters. And the dream for more stuff turns into a nightmare. Because you never have stuff enough. You remember the series in Ecclesiastes. Many of you. If you don't recall it, go back on our site and listen to it. But there we read from Solomon, he who loves money never has enough money. Guard your eyes so that you can guard your heart. And then third, unify your heart. Unify your heart. This point is made twice in the text. First of all, when Jesus says that you want to have an eye that is single, He is saying, don't have double vision. Don't be divided. Be single-eyed. Unify your eyes. (laughs) Unify your heart. And then he says it again in a different way when he says you cannot serve two masters. You can only have one. And so here, dear folks, here is the call of God upon our lives. Unify your heart. Stand in allegiance to Jesus Christ the King. Live for Him and for Him alone. Joshua in his day said to the people of his day, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. 
Whether it's the the kings and gods of this world or the living and the true God. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, finish it. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Don't be divided, Joshua says. Choose one or the other. Elijah says the same thing. How long to the prophets of Baal? How long will you limp between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal is God, follow Him. Folks, if money is God, follow it. If Jesus is God, follow Him. Follow Him with undistracted devotion. Follow Him with a united heart. Can I say this? The only way you're going to do that, the only reason I'm going to do that, is if we believe that the king is worth it. The only way you're going to give up ownership rights to everything you have in order to follow Jesus is if Jesus matters that much to you. It's only if you realize that in Christ you have the treasure above all treasures. Remember the story a little bit later on in Matthew 13, Jesus talks about a man who went out in the field and he found a treasure that was worth more than all he had and so he went home, sold all he had so that he could have the, buy the field and have the treasure. You see, the only way you're going to give up ownership rights to everything and devote them to the king is if you realize that Jesus is the pearl of greatest price. He is the most sweet and precious treasure there is. And the only way you're going to feel that, my friend, is if you know you're a sinner who needs a Savior. The only way you're going to see that Jesus is precious is if you've seen that you're not, that you're guilty, that you're lost, that you're dying, that you're, you're not on the way to heaven, but on the way to judgment, on the way to hell. The only way you're going to value Jesus more than everything, everything is if you know that without Jesus, you lose everything. The only way you're going to hear this message and say, oh Lord, give me grace to live it, is if you know that He has already given you grace. The grace to forgive your sins countless and infinite as they are. The grace to promise you pardon. The grace to promise you heaven. The the grace to promise you eternal reward. Only if you have by faith seen that Jesus who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead victorious and lives today as king, you have seen that he is more precious and more valuable than anything. Only then, only then, Will you say to Jesus, and will you say of Jesus, you can take the world, but give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Folks, we are at a moment in our life as a church where God has, in these past three years, by the way, um, the 20th of September is, marks the third anniversary of Risen Hope Church. And in these three years, um, God in His kindness has pretty much doubled our size. God has blessed us, but we're aware that we're at a point in our life as a church where the mission needs to go on. We need to keep our, our, our foot to the accelerator. We need to keep going. And, and we're, we're aware that that 
creates certain needs within the congregation. We have, uh, when we started, we had more pastoral care in the church in terms of numbers and hours than we do now, even though we're twice the size. What does that mean? We need more pastors. We need more pastors who are vocational pastors, who are paid pastors, who can devote their lives to the work. We need more. We're also aware that if we're going to make a lasting difference in our communities, uh, we really want to establish ministries that are going to make an impact on the disadvantaged, on the undereducated, on the transplanted, those that have come from other parts of the world. We have to be thinking in terms of how do we reach people over the long haul? How do we make a lasting difference for the kingdom? How do we establish the gospel and justice and compassion in our community? And we have ideas for that, one of which we're going to share with you at our family meeting two weeks from tonight. It's an idea about maybe a community center here in town that will be devoted to serving our community and these various needs. But whatever the outcome of those ideas are, folks, what it means is that we need to set our mind on heavenly things. We need to be ready. We need to be ready to invest in eternity. Will you be praying about that, please? Um, we're praying about it. This this doesn't affect pastors any less than anyone else. This is a, this is a, what, what about our commitment? What about our generosity? What about our giving? What about our serving? God is at work. He has been so kind to us. And God, you know, we, we just, as pastors, I can't tell you how many times we shake our head in bewilderment, amazement, and gratitude over the generosity of his people here. It just astonishes us faithfully, week after week after week. Um, we thank God. He has been so good through you. Um, but we believe there's more that he's calling us to. And what does the psalm say? It is marvelous in our eyes. God has been good. And as we continue to be willing to exchange the present for the promise. I believe God in his faithfulness and goodness will bless us and this church and our gospel witness, not just here in eastern Delaware County, but in other places like Jamaica and around the world. God is going to bless. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may it be that by your mercy and grace, we will receive from your hand far better than we deserve, even as we already have. May it be that as you stir within us a treasuring of heaven, that our hearts and our lives and our hands will be opened up in new ways, ways that Stretch our faith and test your promises. And may it be that it will result, Father, in abounding fruit and a harvest in this place and around the world. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being a part of what you're doing. Please give us grace and watch over us, Lord, 
as we now move into fellowship, our grace and race fellowship, as we linger with each other in fellowship, oh, pour out your mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.